Hello and welcome to episode two of The X-Curse with Terry, my guest today, Terry Cooper, who, um, I, I don't know, I don't even know where to start with the list of things that Terry does. Uh, voice actor, actor, director, writer, producer, uh, creator of incredible props. And then I, I was like, I think that's all of them. And then I said, uh, what's your Skype uh, user id and of course it's rapster t and i was like oh of course you're also a bloody musician so you, you pretty much do everything <laughs> how are you <laughs> i'm i'm very fine uh thank you very much um yeah somebody said to me i think it was on another podcast someone sort of said i don't know how to describe you so i just said renaissance man <laughs> oh that, and that's, you, you know oh, that works. I, I don't i don't it, it sounds all very pretentious but uh <laughs> it's not that i actively do all of these things it's kind of like I'm old, so I've done all of these things, <laughs> and I occasionally dip back into different things. So I know the you know, um, Earlier on this year, I, I recorded a rap tune for the first time in I did don't know, you? 15, wow, so 20 years. Yeah, because you so, you were in a in a group back in the nineties, right? Yeah, uh, we got a record deal uh, thanks to the BBC Two Dance Energy program, mm-hmm. and we won our record deal just by sending um, a camcorder video of our song in and the public voted on it over over six weeks and we managed to win the uh the record deal which was a single and a video and Amazing. um uh it kind of went from there it was only a, like a two-year career mm-hmm. and the record company were dangling the uh the carrot of a, an album deal and big money um but we never got past three singles and they didn't even put the third single out because um we started started getting into sort of battles with them over whether it sounds decent enough and our third single sounded very much we wanted it to sound very much like jump around by house of pain yeah and um the record company didn't want that they wanted something very melodic and poppy why wouldn't Um, you want that (laughs) well exactly it was a massive massive hit at the time yeah and um well put it this way our our a and r man was a guy called um Nathan McGough, who used to manage Happy Mondays, mm-hmm. and his boss, the head of A and R, was Mark Fox, who I'm naming and shaming them here, but they probably don't work here anymore. Um, Mark Fox was the the bass player for Haircut 100. Right. So both of these guys were telling us, five kids from Cardiff, how to be. Could you make it a bit more street? <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Could you just be a bit more cool? Is that yeah, possible? Could you be a bit more cool. I'm just going to smoke this cigar and drive my Mercedes. Yeah. Um, so we had a little bit of a clash and, um, after they asked us to, to record, a, uh, another version or another single and we'd run out of money cause we just finished touring with E17 for an entire month. Mm. And, um, you know, our, our second single got to number 64. So we were this close and our manager was the, the music programming executive for BBC two. Our co-manager was the editor of smash hits. You think, that's got to be like the dream team, isn't it? You, you um, would have thought. I mean, I would have thought. If we'd had um, a third single ready to go, um, our manager could have pulled some strings and got us onto Top of the Pops as an exclusive on the strength that we just did the tour. But it, it never happened. The record company didn't um, didn't like what we had, asked us to do more. We had no money. We said, give us some more money. They said, no, you're not having any more money. 
and it all sort of fizzled out there at that point. So it's like that's showbiz. Yeah, but but that's the Reader's Digest version anyway. Yeah, a pretty incredible experience though, I guess, for a couple of years there uh, doing that. Oh, blimey! Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of um, um, rubbing shoulders with with the bigger pop stars, and mm. we. I've always said we've had a backwards career. Our, our, one of our first gigs after getting signed was Wembley Arena. Oh my one God. of our last gigs. <laughs> Smash It's Pull Winners Party in 1994. Um, uh, and one of our last gigs was a small church hall down, right. down on the coast. So it, it should have been the other way around, really, shouldn't it? Yeah, well, that's that's amazing, though. And then, so uh, then a, 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 an absence for, for decades. And, and then you decided 20, I guess, lockdown, you were like, hey. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, even when, after the record deal finished, we kind of toyed with the idea of trying to get another record deal. And I, I, I joined back with some friends who uh, who weren't in the band, but, you know, we you know, knew me from around away and we kind of did some demos and they didn't really get anywhere. And then, like I say, during lockdown, I was um, talking to a couple of friends who do DJing and mixing and all sorts of stuff. I was sort of toying with it. Oh, should we do one for a laugh? Just, you know, yeah. we're not trying to get a deal. We're not trying to do it. We'll just have a laugh and see if we still got it. Uh, and I fell into the um, uh, the idea of doing what they call chat pop. You know, um, chat pop is I a don't kind know. of it's <laughs> educate comedic, me in the ways of chat pop. It's, it's basically a comedic version of hip hop. Um, oh, okay. And it's, and it's it's based on sort of being a posh gentleman. It's a little. It's got something to do with steampunk in a way. Mm. A lot of chat hop rappers are into steampunk, etc. And the most popular chat pop artists that we know of, uh, there's a guy called Mr. B, the Gentleman I, Rhymer. I do know, I, I do know of him. Yes. And the ukulele. And he does things like this. Ding, 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 ding. You know, uh, and then you've got Professor Elemental, who's mm -hmm. more steampunk. He's got the pith helmet and the shorts. And they all do these sort of very posh raps. And, Sounds like uh, a lot you know, of fun. To, oh, it's, it's fantastic. It, it's tongue in cheek, but it's very friendly. Mm. Um, I mean, Mr. B. Uh, used to go by a different pseudonym as well. He was in a band called Collapse Lung, who did Eat My Goal, which was a massive hit back yeah, in the I day. Remember that song vaguely? <laughs> it was a, a Coca Cola picked up on it. Yes. So he, you know, yeah. he got um, for the for the I think it was one of the FIFA competitions. You know, became uh, the anthem for that. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, he did, he had a what for, it sounds like a similar uh, experience to me. You know, uh, sort of, yeah, slightly more success. But I think he basically he said, you know, we we got all this money thrown at us. We spent it all. We didn't know what to do with it. Although we didn't get any money thrown at us, um, <laughs> and uh, it all you know fizzled out quite quickly. Mm. And it went back to obscurity. So he sort of re reinvented himself as Mister Be the Gentleman Rhymer. And I thought I'm going to have a go at that. I'm going to do something. Uh, why like not? That. Yeah. Um, so a couple of months ago, I got to know online uh, a lady uh, who was um, looking for an illustrator to do a children's book turns out she's a, a chap hop rapper herself oh amazing uh, she goes by the name of madam misfit right uh, so she's an ex uh, army um, clarinet player uh, it's military but she's sort of out of that now but she's she's carving quite a name for herself as a rapper and a singer mm -hmm. so she's doing swing and electro swing and all this sort of stuff and um, and also 40s kind of you know singing but she's you know she's a really good rapper and i said to her while i was illustrating her book i said um i'm thinking of doing a chat pop song yeah uh do you fancy joining me <laughs> doing a verse in? she said yeah, absolutely so I, i've done this I, I picked a pseudonym earl gray oh that's that's uh, a that's a powerful pseudonym well, that comes. I'm from actually, when... I'm actually no lie. I'm drinking Earl Grey right now. The, My favorite the, tipple. 
Yeah. Um, totally. I mean, that comes from when we were on tour with the band. Um, I couldn't sign in to hotels as Terry Cooper. Our manager insisted we all use different names because he said, you get these diehard fans of uh, all sorts of ages who travel around the country and they go to the uh, hotels and try and, they, they try and find the name. Right. Fans. So I was signing in as Earl Grey everywhere because my <laughs> nickname was T, so T Earl Grey, you know. Ah, see, um, if they'd thought that through, they might have still found you and thought, hmm. Logic. Yeah. Logic. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to do a, a steampunk rap tune called uh, Introducing Earl Grey, and I sound like this on it. So There's, uh, it, there's some Draco in there. I mean, it's just there. as fake as me doing an American accent, so mm-hmm. what the heck. Uh, in fact, it's less fake because it's English. So uh, Is that out uh, yet? Um, do you know what? It's finished, um, and the plan was to uh, get some time to shoot a little video for it because mm-hmm. I didn't want to just put it out as audio, so... Um, Obviously, I've got a million things in the air at the moment, so I'm just yeah. trying to find time. When it's dry and not pouring down with rain, if I can get out and shoot some um, some video to go with it, um, and then I'll contact Madame Misfit and ask her to do a little piece so she can have it as like an inset or on the TV screen. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll pop it all together. Um, that sounds like so, a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to hearing yeah, that. I was going to say, I'm sure you haven't released by, that. Hopefully by the end of the year, fingers crossed. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's amazing. That sounds great. Yeah. So uh, you also have uh, done countless voice acting jobs uh, if we can touch mm. on voice acting for for a little bit because mm. i absolutely love your uh, delgado master uh, i think yes. it's a tremendous delgado that well, you do that's the biggest surprise for me that one because you know I, i've done sort of passable impersonations of other things and mm. um it must have been about 3 years ago now that um i heard I was on Facebook and I heard about um, uh, a Doctor Who fan series called The Final Game. And Mm. and the whole ethos behind that is there was a Doctor Who script for the third Doctor, John Pertwee, called The Final Game, where it was the master and John Pertwee's final um, adventure or, you know, sort of battle, whatever. I didn't Um, didn't know about this. That's fascinating. It was never made. Uh, And what happened was that, um, I mean, you can't get the script online. You can get... Um, people's accounts of what happened in it and it's very sketchy etc but obviously Roger Delgado um, was killed in a car accident um, when he was when they were about to sort of get into doing that so they they shelved it Um, and that's why John Pertwee left the role he said well if Roger's not coming back I'm not coming back Um, so Chris McKeon who's a writer from the States who's done a lot of Doctor Who fan stuff and a couple of uh, canonical novels and stuff he uh, put a call out saying, we're going to do the final game. We need a John Pertwee. We need a Roger Delgado. We need Sergeant Benton, Sarah yeah. Jane Smith, Joe Grant, everybody. Um, so is, Brigadier. This, uh, is this based on the script? Uh, did they get hold of it's, the script or is this based, based on the idea? Well, I think it's based on the idea for the most mm. part because he um, he found out as much as he could about it and then decided to construct a story. It's like a sort of, you know, when there's a... You get an Egyptian skeleton and then you put clay on it and you go, well, that's roughly what I think it should be, <laughs> yeah. you know. So there's yeah. a lot of um, license taken and there's a lot of kind of tributes. And mm. obviously, I don't think it's as epic as um, – I don't think the, the, the original script would be as epic as what Chris did. Because no, Chris of course. Daleks and Cybermen and, you know, he's trying to give Roger Delgado a massive send-off so it's his huge epic seven-parter. Yeah. When in re- in actual fact, the final game might have been a two or three parter. Of course. Um, so I, I saw the casting call and I thought, oh, I'd love to get in into that. And I can't do any Doctor impressions. Well, not the third Doctor anyway. So 
I was like, what am I going to do? Um, and they thought the only one I could kind of attempt is the Brigadier. And it's not that I do a good Nicholas Courtney. I, I but could see you pulling off the Brigadier, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's uh, it's just a kind of, you know, Sergeant Benton, carry on. It's yeah. that kind of voice, you know, like this. And I thought, it's not perfect, but maybe I can work on it. So mm-hmm. I sent in some auditions. I said, uh, here's, here's my Brigadier audition. He goes, hey, that's not bad, Terry, but I was wondering if you could... Um, could you try the master? I'm like, I can <laughs> have a go. go. <laughs> you know, uh, I thought, well, to all Americans, any British accent will work. So um, uh, I got, I went on YouTube and I looked at a load of uh, clips of Roger Delgado and his, you know, his, 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 his one of his very first lines is, I am the master. Uh, I'm you. What does he say? The guy says, who are you? And he goes, I am known as the master universally. And it's, I thought, well, so I, I went through a load of his uh, phrases and then I sent an audition off and Chris went, my God, that's exactly like it. I'm like, is it really? I, sure. I genuinely, genuinely think it's a brilliant Delgado. Well, it, it, I mean, I'm. It, it's a big surprise to me because I just hear myself doing a posh voice, right? Mm-hmm. And my my friend Sean Russell, the Candy Jar Books, he's the biggest Doctor Who fan in the world. So I sent him some recordings that i did i said does this sound like roger delgado to you and he goes i can't tell all i can hear is you because i know what you sound because i know you too well yeah sure so what happened was um i got contacted by um dan hadley who runs the spacebook podcast and he said oh we heard about your roger delgado could you do us a little ident for the start of the his type 40 podcast the doctor who uh, i'm aware of type 40 yep yep yeah so i did a kind of i am the master and you're listening to the Type 40 podcast with Dan Hadley and all this. And he said, brilliant. So he put it on there. And then out of the blue, I had a phone call off Sean about work or whatever. Yeah. And Sean said, I heard someone doing the Roger Delgado voice the other day at the start of a Type 40 podcast. It was amazing. <laughs> and I said, you know, that was me, right? He goes, was it? I said, see, because you didn't know it was me, you couldn't you, hear you Terry. Disassociated you disassociated Terry just... from. Yeah. 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 Uh, and you know, fair play. There's been tons of feedback. Um, I will, I will always say, if you listen to the final game, it's all on YouTube, seven parts. I I'm highly not recommend the star of it. that show. I know it's a, it's a send off for Roger Delgado, but I'm not the star of that show. The star of the show is Marshall Tankersley, who does John Pertwee. He's for a, a fantastic young... Pertwee. Oh my goodness! For a young American kid to mm. do, not only an English accent, but one of the hardest voices to do. It's John so Pertwee's distinctive. It it's almost out. He says things almost out of breath like this. It's kind of like that. I think uh, um, I've heard John Culshaw doing it, and John Culshaw mm, is brilliant. Yeah, but Marshall can knock him into a cocked hat. He's like amazing. He's fantastic, um, and I think we. I cannot hear Marshall's voice. I can just hear John Pertwee. Yeah. So to, to you know to um, to play alongside, in my mind, audio only, John Pertwee. It mm. just it's a massive honor it's fantastic he he is a tremendous pertwee i must admit and and i think with that role i imagine there's a uh probably like a a, a real sort of draw to almost over egg it and he doesn't yeah, it, it's yeah. it's perfect it it is perfect and yeah so the final game is all on youtube uh that's where i listen to it yeah highly recommend checking that out and i, I loved your uh your delgado master i think is wonderful well, um, Chris, Chris wrote, Chris is very good. Um, you know, usually you think someone from across the pond wouldn't get the sort of 
the 1970s, the early 1970s RADA school of talking. And those mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it's a little bit theatrical, a bit sort of, and the seven people talk differently in the 70s, but yeah. he's got, he really gets it. You know, mm. he says, yes, my dear chap and all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, in where, where an American would say, uh, would say, all oh, right, the master could say, um, sure, go ahead. Mm. You know, that wouldn't be in the script in the 70s. No, no. After, no. You, after you, my dear boy, or something like this, it would be said in a more posh English kind of way. Yeah. And Chris gets it straight away, you know, and when you read the lines, you think, yeah, this does sound like of its time, you know, so. Uh, yeah, it, awesome. it's tremendous. Uh, and you're tremendous in it. Is uh, ah. is the third Doctor your favourite Doctor? I know you're a massive Doctor Who fan, as am I. So. Um, do you know what? I don't think he is. I mean, I he's my first memory of watching Doctor Who. I think I watched uh, a story called The Green Death, which was set in Wales, weirdly enough, while I was living in London mm -hmm. uh, as a kid. Um, but I vaguely remember the, the, the Green Death, the maggots and things. But um, obviously, I was there for the, the last few stories of John Pertwee, um, but I really remember Tom Baker onwards. So sure. Tom Baker is my doctor because of giving my age. Mm -hmm. um, and then coming back to the new series of Doctor Who, David Tennant, I, I couldn't choose between Tom Baker and David Tennant because David Tennant had, he captured lightning in a bottle there. He was oh, absolutely. Um, I th also, because of Russell T. Davis's writing and the way it was shot, it all felt like a movie every week, uh, which is something I unfortunately can't say about recent Doctor Who. No, um, I, I imagine it's we... It's like a we, fan film every week. Yes, um, yeah. I, I imagine we probably align on our, our thoughts on that one. But um, yeah. That's a, yeah, it's, Tenant, Tenant it's was very tremendous. Tricky, isn't it? To, it? It's hard to... Um, uh, to to say exactly why David Tennant was so good, but you know he's mm. he's just eminently watchable in anything he does. Anyway, I think his you know. yeah his charisma is off the charts, which which certainly helps. Yeah, um, McCoy was mine. Uh, it was my Doctor because right. the time it came out, that was kind of the yeah. you know uh, early memories. Um, but then of course my parents had UK Gold, so I was introduced to a lot of the old uh, the old episodes. Yeah, exactly. You go then. back into the archives and say, all right, what do I like from the past? Uh, but of course, the Doctors. trouble with UK Gold was that it was random episodes, so it was always all was. over the place. Um, it was never, it was never sort of in sequence no. in any way. So they, it didn't give you any impetus to go better, better catch the next episode. They just throw a random one yep. on, and you're like, okay, I better I see just, what I can do. I guess it. we're watching the Sea Devils today, or at least an episode yeah. of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's yeah, that's tremendous. I like I said, I absolutely, uh, absolutely love that. Uh, so you do. Uh, where can people contact you for voice work? Because obviously you, you do this uh, professionally. Yeah, well, I, I don't have a website, but generally I've got uh, a Facebook page for my artwork, which is, you know, my main sort of source of bread and butter. But mm. um, we'll I have sort of branded it as <laughs> Terry Cooper Sounds and Visions. So I do ah. put sound in there as well. Mm -hmm. So if you go to um, my, my Facebook page, you know, just type in my name, you'll see my... Um, it may it may come up as Terry Cooper sounds and visions, or it may come up as I better check. I better check. It may it may say. <laughs> I'll put a link in the uh, in the description anyway. Well, uh, after this. Yeah, so. it, at the moment it still comes up as Terry Cooper art design and illustration, but my logo has a big microphone in the middle of it. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I love doing voiceover stuff. I wish I could do more. Actually, mm. um, I you know because vo I, I do some corporate stuff, and I've been the voice of the. University of Glamorgan Awards show for the last 15 years. Wow. Um, basically, when I, when I was doing my course in 2003, every year 
uh, when it was in Glamorgan University, they had an award show called the Glammies. Right. Um, see what they did there? And I do, uh, yep. every year they'd have a theme. So what they do is, for example, in 2003, I'm trying to remember what the theme was. It might have been the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie, the, the Martin Freeman one. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and so what they do to start the show off, the, the animation departments all put together little skits and little sketches, uh, and they needed a, this is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Nice. Welcome to the Glammies 2003. And then it'll go into the awards, and it'll have best first-year film, best second-year film, best showreel, best animation, all this stuff. Um, and then for that, they just wanted um, a voice, so the tutors didn't have to come up to the microphone and go, is this thing on? And then open up an envelope. So they'd have me going, and the nominations for best first year are <laughs> John Smith for Showreel. So I've been doing that voice uh, as well as the impersonations. They did a Star Trek one. They did a Transformers one. They did a, an austerity one where I had to try and do my best Brian Blessed, which wasn't. Oh, pleasant. that's a no. Yeah, it's very hard to do. I just had to get as close as I could. Um, but, you know, there was, uh, oh, my goodness, there was superhero ones and all sorts of different ones. And then they merged with the University of South Wales. Um, so I still have done a few voiceovers. But during lockdown, they don't need me for that. Um, sure. Yeah. But, it, you know, I like doing the corporate stuff. And I've done this corporate video and some uh, small adverts and online adverts and stuff like that. Um, I would like to do more of it. Um, I enjoy doing the like the Doctor Who. I'm currently yeah. playing Batman as well. Oh, are you? Uh, nice. Yeah. Is that an original <laughs> so story chuff- as well? It, yes. Yeah. It's um, the company's called CP Studios, run by James Quick, and he's doing a thing called World's Greatest Detective, and he's doing a series of stories. They're all two-parters, but they're all about an hour long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I managed to get uh, the role. I managed to beat a load of Americans in the audition. <laughs> Because all the at the time the Americans were all they were sending in auditions doing their best Christian Bale. Ah, uh, I, I see. Didn't really do that, and I didn't want to get the sore throat, so I was doing my Kevin Conroy. Oh, um, well, Conroy it, for me, if I read a comic, it's Conroy. That's the voice you hear, it's isn't it? Right, and uh, you've got to um, uh, you've got to do Bruce Wayne and Batman. Yeah. So um, it's fine if you can do the Christian Bale, <laughs> that kind of thing. But you've got to know what he sounds like as Bruce Wayne as well. So mm. when I'm doing Bruce Wayne, he's quite genial and happy like this. So it's kind of, you know, middle of the road. Hi there. How are you? That kind of white guy voice that Eddie Murphy does. <laughs> I am a white guy. Um, and then all of a sudden you go down here for Batman. Oh, that's great. You know, yeah, yeah. You've, you've definitely got that Comroy. I am vengeance. I am Batman. Yeah. <laughs> You've definitely so, got that down. That's fantastic. He managed to get. Um, we did an episode with the gentleman ghost, and he managed to get Simon Fisher Becker, who was the the bald guy, uh, who was the like the blue head in a box for Doctor Who. Oh yes, Smith. yeah, yeah. And he played the gentleman ghost, so like all my scenes are opposite him. So I'm like, wow, wow. I'm the proper dude. Um, so that was great fun, and I still got a couple more of those to record. In fact, mm. um, but again, I I love doing the fiction stuff, and I've done that for oh, goodness me, under twenty years now, but. Again, those things are free and they're not paid, so they do take yeah. a lot of your time up. And I love to keep doing them if I can, but I can't keep doing them. I would rather prioritize uh, a paying job for a cartoon or something like that. Yeah, you know? but yeah. Uh, well, occasionally that's... I do paid gigs. You know, that's a lovely segue into your artwork. Yes, uh, another string <laughs> to your bow. Um, no. So, I mean, you've 
uh, you've designed some amazing props and things as well. I mean, the Cyberon, I'm a big fan of the Cyberon design that you came up with. Uh, okay. I, I saw, I, I, I haven't seen uh, the show that it was made for, but I've seen your designs and I think they're a, a fantastic design. Yes. Well, this is the VHS of Cyberon from mm. 1996, I think, or 1999. Um so it's a BBV. It's a it's a spin-off Doctor Who. They wanted Cyberons to look a bit like Cybermen, but not too much. <laughs> but not enough to be copyrighted. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this this was during the wilderness years of yes. Doctor Who, yeah. and there was no Doctor Who on TV. So people like BBV and uh, Real Time Pictures would get together, and they you know they'd get some actors together from you know from Doctor Who and from other places, and and do their own sort of spin-offs. And Cyberon was was you know very close to Cybermen, but not exactly. I think the actual Cyberon characters were invented by Nick Briggs under a different name. Oh, really? Uh, way back in the day, as an audio, like a CD yeah. adventure. Um, and then uh, BBV Video had an idea of doing a, a live-action version. So I, I I heard it was going ahead, so I did a load of drawings and sent it off to them by email, mm. not expecting anything. And, and uh, they came back to me and said, well, okay, could you make us uh, a number of helmets yeah. You know, for the thing. So, okay, cool. So it's a really long story about how I made them and how things went wrong as things well, that was, in, always I, do. That's what I absolutely loved was seeing your, your Terry on Tuesday uh, episode yes. talking about it. Uh, that was yeah, fantastic. In, in the end, I thought I'd do a video that tells the whole yeah. terrifying tale. Um, and you can see that, you know, things went right, things went wrong and trying to... Because Cyberon is, uh, is a weird animal it's it gets good reviews for the story because it is a quite a, a grown-up story it's quite well done it's yeah. shot nicely but the thing that lets it down hands up is the costumes um and people say oh it's a great it's a great film but the costumes look awful and right. obviously it's done on a an absolute shoestring yeah uh, and it was the, my first proper costuming making job with sculpting and molding and vac forming mm. and all this kind of stuff um, so no, they could have been a lot better. I mean, had I done them today, today they <laughs> yeah. would have been great. They'd been three D printed and everything else. Mm. But you know, this was back in the day where things were sculpted in plasticine and plaster of Paris and molded yeah. and fiberglassed and it's a all different world we live in today. Absolutely, and people look back and go, "Oh, that was awful." I was like, "Well, yeah, of course they were, but they were done on the a shoestring is... with no time." But the but the design is solid. I I love yeah. the design. Yeah, I mean, I sent them a bunch of drawings, and it's. I wanted it to go for a kind of uh, the '60s version mm. where they didn't have the big earmuffs on. Yeah. Um, but then I, I didn't want the face to be very bland. I wanted to put cheekbones in there and kind of. Uh, you got a lot of character. Yeah. A slight bump to the nose. You can't really see it on this on this picture too well, but I wanted to give it a bit more to hint like the the very first Cybermen who had like the cloth. Sacks oh, over their faces, most so terrifying incarnation. Bones and temples, so it's a kind of hybrid of that. And I gave him an option to have handles on top of the head or not. Mm -hmm. And he said, "Let's get, let's not do the handles. That's that's one step too far, you know." So, yeah. Um, you know, um, what I'll do? Just give me one second. Sure. Oh, he's right behind. Um, I, I I can see it. I, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. So uh... okay. Um, <laughs> well, I got contacted out of blue by a young chap called James Lee. And he said to me, I want to make a Cyberon fan film yeah. um, using your design. And I said, well, sure, but you know, I don't own the Cyberons at all. But 
Mm. You know, I did do this design. So he contacted um, a friend of mine who does CGI, uh, CGI modeling and 3D printing. Mm -hmm. And he said, could you sculpt a Cybron based on Terry's drawing? So he's done a 3D, a 3D print, as you can see here. Yeah. I printed a small version of it out and stuck it onto an action man in a sort of silver jumpsuit. It's, it looks There's great. There's nothing amazing. But, you know, it, this is what the Cybrons would have looked like had I had, you know, the better technology and more time yeah. and money, basically. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's nice to see that they came back. And it was really nice of James, you know, because he contacted Lance Parkin, who wrote the original Cybron movie. And, you know, he spoke to BBV as well and asked them about it. And he didn't have to ask me. You know, I, I was I did my job and I was out of there. Yeah. But um it was nice of him to come back and say, you know, uh, this is what I'm doing. Are you, are you uh, okay with it and using it? And it, obviously, it's not my, it's not my property. You know, sure. it's my design, but it's not my property. So I'm, I'm just chuffed that you know they're sort of seeing another lease of life because there, there's a Cybron book out now. Yeah, that's so that was that was fun. Fantastic, um, and and of course you, you've not stopped making nope. props and things uh you were you were making a spaceship out of a nerf gun the last time i uh, i saw your instagram I, yes i got that downstairs and I, it, it's got lots of gaps in it i need to find more bits of plastic junk and greeblies to fit in there and before i i want to get around to painting it painting things are always the best oh, fun. yeah yeah definitely but you have made one of my favorite characters or you're making one of my favorite characters of all time mine too marvin the paranoid oh, android i um love that now, design i love that character and the work you've done on this is something else well you know um the hitchhikers tv show came out and i think in 1981 yeah and uh i've i don't know why it is um i wish someone could like psychoanalyze me and work out why i like robots so much i'm obsessed with robots um and you know, I'm not going to split hairs. And, you know, Daleks aren't robots, etc. But mechanical beings or mm -hmm. you know, non-human things, robots have always been like uh, a massive thing. You know, I used to be into the Six Million Dollar Man as a kid oh, because same. he was a cyborg and all stuff like that. Um, and then Hitchhikers comes on TV because there's no Doctor Who on at the moment, and you know, it. I, I could see it was a kind of a low-budget BBC attempt. Um, and then Marvin walks on on the second episode, you know, obviously Stephen Moore, the late, great yeah. Stephen Moore doing that incredible voice. Um, and Marvin is this bunch of blocks. He's just a bunch of squares <laughs> and he just looks completely downhearted. And, you know, he's got no moving parts apart from his arms and legs. Yeah. Um, he doesn't even have lights that flash. His eyes are just mm. lit up and that's it. Um, but he just really... It really appeals to people. You know, you think it'd be the sort of character that uh, people would hate after a while because he's so annoying, you know, because he's so depressed. But uh, I've always wanted to make one. I realized with the, obviously the, the Martin Freeman movie came out and you get all the figures. And I'm, yeah. I, I'm not fussed on the way they did Marvin using Warwick Davis and then, you know, the big bulbous head and all this kind of thing. I wasn't a fan I think of that they missed film, trick. if I'm honest. Uh, it, well, it's you know interesting, what? Um, like, seeing a movie. Is it? Yeah, it's oh, okay. Well, it, it's controversial in that um, a lot of people didn't like it because it seemed to be lacking a lot of the gags, or the well, gags sort of see, fell flat. Yes, so that's the thing that I find fascinating about that film, is that it's using the same jokes, they just don't yeah. land. It's odd. Yeah, now, for example, um, when you first see Ford Prefect, yeah. um, most deaf comes along, um, he's basically riding a shopping trolley full of beers 
uh, all the way up to the builders who are trying to knock down Arthur Dent's house. He's like, here, free beer, free beer, free beer. And he just picks Arthur up and they go to the pub. Yeah. And I'm like, well, they missed one of the funniest bits there. The bit when they're so lying, uh, lying the there. The TV show, mm. Ford Prefect comes along. He does exactly what happens in the book. And he says to the, uh, he managed to convince oh, yeah, the council. Yeah, that's fantastic. To lie in front of the bulldozer. Yeah. <laughs> he says, so, well, if you can imagine that Arthur's going to be lying here all day, then you don't actually need him to be here, do you? So <laughs> if we can just pop off to the pub for a quick pint and later on, you go for pub, go go for a pint, and we'll cover for you. He's like, oh, well, that's very kind of you, sir, because he's confused him. And then he goes, so if you just like to lie down. What? Lie down. So Yeah, you well, lie there. here. <laughs> yeah. In front of the bulldozer? Yes. In the mud? In, as you say, the mud. <laughs> and he just he gets down there and he goes, and no sneaking, knocking Mr. Dent's house down while we were away. Got it? And he goes, no, slightest thought has never crossed my mind. Um, and it, all this kind of wordplay is fantastic, it's and a lot tremendous. of it just didn't, didn't land in the movie. And the problem is, the people who defend the movie will say that Douglas Adams was involved with the movie up until the point that he died, sure. and he was. But then they're kind of using that as a get out of jail free card, going, "Well, you may not like it, but Douglas Adams approved it." But we don't know what he approved exactly. It, and well, what yes, yeah, it's easy to say that now. Yeah, yeah, you know, so. Uh, Douglas Adams always said that his dream cast for Hitchhikers would be Jeff Goldblum as Ford Prefect and uh, Michael Keaton as Zaphod Beeblebrox. Um, uh, Sam Rockwell mm. was great, but I didn't like the way that it's like hide the second head under here for the most part. And then they did that whole plot contrivance where his second head was removed. Yeah. So he didn't have to do it the rest of the film. Um, but yeah, going back to Marvin, um, I noticed there was no toys. Of no, there aren't. BBC I've looked. Characters. <laughs> you can get little sort of miniatures nowadays, little yeah. sort of Warhammer type miniatures. But I, I would have given my, you know, uh, my, my left arm just to to have a one six scale. Oh, Marvin. that would be incredible. Yep. You know, and even uh, the garage kit makers and the people who make sort of amateur kits and resin castings, there's no real Marvins around. Mm. Um, so I was looking around, and obviously uh, the BBC Marvin made a cameo appearance in the 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 martin freeman movie um and i was like oh wow the costume still exists where is it i thought private collector or something turns out it's owned by mike tucker at the model unit in ealing studios Uh, mike tucker obviously he he worked on tons of things he worked on hitchhikers um all the doctor who stuff classic and modern uh and loads of other things and movies um and he still got the full marvin costume um in his office, which is a treasure trove of the history of models. Oh, I, I can uh, imagine. And I contacted him out of the blue back in 2018 and said, look, um, is there any chance I could like come up and see Marvin and like maybe do an interview with you? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Coming up. I'm like, oh, brilliant. So I went up to London on, on the hottest day of the year and I went over to Ealing Studios and he spared me an hour. Um, wow. To go in. His, his studio is about the size of my room here and it's crammed to the rafters with Cybermen, Tardises, <laughs> Daleks, Egyptian stuff from you know uh, the pyramids of Mars. Oh, all my favourite ever Doctor Who episode. Oh, the Sutek mask is still there. Oh. It's all falling apart. Um, but you know, and in right in the middle, then is Marvin the paranoid android, six foot tall, and in really good condition because he got um, renovated. Mike renovated him for the movie, um, but they the, there wasn't a budget apparently to renovate Marvin's legs, so they only oh. used the head and arms and shoulders in the movie and you never get to see his feet 
Right. Um, because they said they wouldn't they wouldn't shell out another couple of hundred quid just to give the feet a coat of paint or whatever. Well, if you've gone that so, far, I mean, you know. I know, right? It's like, the kind on. of budget they had. Come on, you could spare 200 quid. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, a, as far as I know, it wasn't a huge budget. It was a bit of a risk. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think if you're going to renovate Marvin, you don't sort of cut corners and go, oh, I wonder if you can save a couple of quid by just doing the top half of him. You know, yeah. like, what's that all about? So, you know, just, just to actually see Marvin in real life um, was incredible. You know, yeah. I get to, got to see how the how the joints work and looking at the weight of it and the size of it, thinking this can't be comfortable. I wouldn't have thought um, so. I guess you're going to tell me if it is or not now. But um... Well, um, having not worn the entire thing, um, <laughs> I, I won't tell you yet, but I've, I'm, I'm in contact with David Lerner, who wore the suit yeah. um, in the TV show. And he played Marvin a number of times before the TV show, in fact, on stage. Oh, really? I um, didn't know that. Yeah, he played Marvin in different uh, incarnations, but um, only in theatre. Stephen Moore did the voice for TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and But David Lerner did the voice on TV, but he had to learn all the lines just so everyone could you know, act with him. Yeah. And then they redubbed it with Stephen Moore. And, um, you know... I. it struck me that Marvin is very tall. He's six foot tall. And that... Yep. Uh, when you put the costume on, you're looking through the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I said to to Mike Tucker, I said, you know, this complete honesty, uh, my plan is I want to make one. I've always wanted to make a Marvin the Paranoid Android, um, you know, for, for costuming and whatever. Yeah. And um, I mean, th- this was the second time I've met a, a robot of my dreams, or of my childhood, you know, of my fantasies. Were, um, I think fantasy is the wrong word. It's, it's just connotations. What no, was the um, first? The first was Metal Mickey. Oh, great. Awesome. Do you remember him? Had a yeah, voice I like do. a silo. Yeah. Um, that was a very interesting experience, he says in inverted commas, <laughs> and not the best experience, um, but I'll say that story for another day. Okay. Uh, so suffice to say, it was great to see that there was this, there's only ever been one Mickey robot. They didn't like make n- a number of them. Yeah. There's just the one, and he's been renovated, and he's still sort of alive and kicking to a certain extent um but uh after going you know they say never meet your heroes yeah it's kind of that kind of story oh I'll, okay that's... i'll go into that one day i don't i don't want to sort of um you know name and shame or something no, anybody no, that's, off, that's fair but, but but it, it wasn't as cracked as great as i thought it'd be but with the marvin was was everything and more so i think i better show you i think you should show the people. most completed part of marvin which is his noggin <sighs> Um, and this is as close. I mean, I didn't get any measurements at the time when I it, got to see Marvin. It looks perfect. Like it, it, it um, honestly looks fantastic. It's gone. It's gone from um, many photos, many sketches. I did a load of drawings. I, I, uh, I guessed a lot of measurements myself. Um, most of the modelling of this was done uh, in CG by a friend of mine called Dave Damon, and then it went to another guy called Merv Staten, who took the model and tweaked it again. Um, and we basically kept pushing and pulling little bits and going, oh, can you angle this a bit more and make this bit a bit smaller, this bit a bit larger? And it's as close as, it, as it I looks think I'm ever going to get. It fantastic. Yeah. Um, even now, I can see things that I would do differently if I did it again. Isn't that um, the same? Uh, isn't that, you know, the same could be said for any piece of art or, you know? Yeah. Anything. I mean, if you compared the two together, um, there would be things like I would say that. Uh, either side of his mouth here these normally taper in a little bit more and the mouth isn't as wide it's it's only by like 
10 it's about half an inch or something it's the kind of thing that but, only you were going to notice it's going to yeah, bug exactly. you yeah pedantic and i'm going oh if only we had you know those sort of things but i mean the lights are fitted at the moment but i, I don't have any battery packs but no, he's no. got the LED lights in there so they bright uh, bright orange to got reflectors and stuff in there yeah um got all the metal studs and things on the sides um the only thing that's not here at the moment is the grill for the mouth which is 3d printed it's got a white rim around the edge and that goes in there um but what i did do i had a visit from my granddaughter who's only two and i asked her if she wanted to speak to marvin so i put the amplifier inside and i've got a a voice kit that plays 200 different samples of marvin's voice nice and uh, I started pressing buttons and the voice was coming out of this head. You know, I to know I'm feeling very depressed and all this kind of stuff. And she thought it was hilarious. So, um, you know, the head, I would say, is about 90, 90% finished. There's a couple of little bits I need to finish around the neck and fit the mouth grill. Mm. Um, other than that, the head is done and uh, I'm really happy with it. Um, you wouldn't think it's really printed. It's It's been sanded to... An inch of its life. There's still dings and dents, but the real Marvin is twice as battered as this. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, even when even... he was walking through that quarry at the, <laughs> towards the end, when I can't imagine it. So. You know, I mean, there was bits had fallen off. Yeah. The buttons had fallen off him and stuff. And even to this day, you can see he was put together. The thing about Marvin, Mike told me, was that because it was a low budget production and they didn't have a lot of time, they made Marvin as symmetrical as possible. So his front is identical to his back. And his, his arms are mirrors of each other, but they're just done with like wooden blocks that were vac-formed and uh, fiberglassed over the top. Right. And the legs are identical left and right and front and back. So you just make one of the front of the of a thigh, for example. And then you can put them, yeah. Four times. And that's the back of the thigh and the other leg. So, it you know, they just bashed him together. And Douglas Adams said he was kind of happy with it, but he said he wanted him to be a bit more... A bit more like Lurch. He said, I want him to Marvin to look like a Volvo. And I thought, well, he's, yeah. He's, I, I think he kind of does. Volvo. He's pretty blocky, like an old school Volvo. I yeah. Know. Um, I've always I, loved that design. I, I think it's a tremendous design. Yeah. I mean, in the book, I think all they say is that he has got up, upturned triangles for eyes. Yeah. Which make him sad. And after that, the sky's the limit. Um, now, Mike recently took a photo of his Marvin the real Marvin holding a piece of paper saying famous robot needs work Aww. because Hulu, uh, apparently in the States are working on a new version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as a TV show. I didn't know so, that. Yeah. Um, this is currently in, um, probably in development hell. Hmm. And, uh, wouldn't it be amazing if they just managed to reach out to Mike and said, you know, either can we use the costume or can we copy it? Exactly. That would be you know? incredible. Just to see that, you know, because he is very low tech, you know, a square robot. He looks like a tin toy. He looks like he should have a massive key in his back, shouldn't he, you know? But that's what uh, I love about him. Yeah. I mean, he he walks like a tin toy. It's yes, like, he does. Well, yes. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was intentional or just uh, physics, that, but yes. <laughs> that's all you can do inside it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, I, I was I was watching some YouTube the other day and they said that um, 
the latest Hulu show, uh, Why the Last Man, based on the comic, um, has mm. been cancelled after the first series. I, I heard so that. I, I think it's cancelled before the end of the series. It's cancelled at like episode yeah, seven. Yeah, it's been cancelled now and there's um, like one or two episodes left. And you think, again, uh, I understand budgets and, and, you know, you can't afford to continue. I always think it's a crying shame. Like, just at least finish the series. I've not watched it, so I don't have a boat in this race. But finish the, yeah. you know, you've got three episodes to go. Come on. Well, they did that with um, Sarah Connor Chronicles back in the day. You know, I remember that massive yeah. cliffhanger, and it got cancelled. It was like, what? There what are happens. I I, I was convinced by my fiance to watch um, Santa Clarita Diet uh, last month, and I right, loved it. Is that a zombie thing? Isn't it, it? It is. So she becomes a zombie, and it, it's they're just a wonderfully delightful couple, and he's trying to look after her well because she's she's like a human being but she's basically a zombie as well so she's not like a brainless zombie well this um, sounds like the other um there's another zombie show wasn't there um i think there's i zombie or something i which... zombie that's the one yeah. so i think that's another one i've not seen that one but i was i was loathed to start watching it because i knew it had been cancelled because i've been that's burnt. the thing you hear you it's know. been cancelled after one episode or uh, one series or two yeah. series and you think oh should i really watch it now and, it, and yeah. it happened i watched it and i loved it i got invested and then i knew it wasn't going to continue when i got to the end and i was like oh i oh, really want more that. i hate it yeah but, um but i i was hoping that you know i thought well you know if if hulu's cancelled this it, it means they're looking at other going options. in a different direction yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they might have the, the money spare to, to get going on Hitchhikers. And, you know, I'm not one of these people who says, oh, they're going to ruin it. It's like, no. well, they're just going to make a new version of it. If it's not good, I mean, I'm not, like you say, me and you, we're not first on the Martin Freeman movie. No, there are some, but there it's... are some nice bits about it. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not 100% awful, but it doesn't float my boat. But it, that doesn't ruin the TV show for me. I could put the TV show on any time I like. It will never and ruin the TV I'm, show. Like just, just I'm like I'm, I'm not a fan of modern Star Wars. That doesn't stop me liking exactly. what I like of Star Wars. Exactly. It's fine, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I will probably never watch any of the sequel trilogy again um, because they no. just don't do it for me. But but they do it for some know, people, has, and that's great, you know. Sure, film. yeah. People who have grown up with, you know, uh, one of my good friends, uh, he grew up. His first film he he watched the young lad uh, was the phantom menace and i'm like wow really <laughs> you know it's like, oh, i was young when that came out um but you know he's he's seen sense like like most good people and he prefers the empire strikes back to any other mm-hmm. but i prefer a new hope to any other so um there's certainly an argument for that i i wouldn't yeah. uh, i wouldn't argue either way on that one actually totally and um you know uh, just because there's something new i mean i might like the casting or the marvin or whatever of the new hitchhikers um it's a, there's always going to be a little bit of civil war in your head like when Battlestar galactica came out people were like oh i'm not going to like this and it turns out to be an amazing piece of tv it's it's but, interesting isn't it i had this conversation the other day actually about this kind of stuff where where it's like you know it, it's so people are so quick and i've done it before you're like oh god they're gonna they're gonna remake this it's gonna be awful but then you think there's so many movies that were great remakes not all remakes yeah. are bad um, a lot of people don't realize that some remakes uh aren't re- they don't even realize they're remakes they're, you know? yes yeah or or so, in some cases they were novels so it's just another version of of yeah. a novel it's not you know yeah um, i mean the, the biggest cop out is when someone says 
the book was better. It's like, well, of course it's better. It's in your imagination. <laughs> yeah, nothing's yeah. nothing's gonna beat your own imagination, and and that's yeah, kind of the problem. Even predict what you're thinking, is it? You know. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's a lot of the problem with trailers as well, like movie trailers, because I I think that. You see a movie trailer, and a good movie trailer makes you think, oh, I can't wait to watch this. But then in the time between the trailer and the movie coming out, you've seen the rest of the movie in your head based on the trailer. So it's almost always going to be a disappointment when you get there. It's going to be different to what the, the taste they've given you. you know. And yeah. obviously, uh, different companies um, will uh, are hired to do trailers. And yes. And their, their uh, thing is not to tell the story, but to just get people to interested. So they'll, yeah. they'll twist it and edit it and do whatever they can based on what their you know uh the current zeitgeist is and what their what's worked for them in the past mm. and you know do their best to give you a trailer that makes you go oh i want to see this but it's never going to be the same as the the finished product so no so i, I want to move on to your art but i have to quickly ask first did you make the howl back there or or is that a prop yes um I, I i made it he's not even i like most of my projects he's half finished i'll show you now it lo- um, well from this distance it looks fantastic <laughs> it, it does look okay from a distance um let me get some more pieces right so basically um i wanted a hal 9000 oh you're trying to make expensive. it accurate to the actual prop as well that's fantastic well what this actually is I'll take the the lens and stuff because it was just um, a camera lens right yeah, a very expensive camera lens, apparently. Mm. Um, so this is done in two halves, top and bottom. It's uh, 3D printed flat, basically. Um, and around the edge, I left um, a channel so I could put some silver car trim. Yeah. It's like self-adhesive chrome trim that goes all the way around. This grill is 3D printed. I just painted it with a silver marker. Um, I've made a, it's very black. It's very hard to see. I, I, I did a load of concentric circles here with a hole. So mm-hmm. one day I'm going to put a red LED in there, and in the back um, I've got like a, a thing to put a, a battery, battery pack, pack and some yeah. wires all the way down to there. Um, and the top again is just raised detail, which I'm currently painting by hand. So it says HAL 9000. Nice. Um, I don't know if the size is right. I kind of guessed it was about right, and a four-inch diameter for the the lens. And my plan was to get. Uh, a chrome bezel. Oh, that looks This is great. from a car. This is from a speedometer or something. Cost me about 11 quid on eBay. Mm. Um, just look for it four inches. It looks perfect, though, for bezel. what you need it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that fits in nicely in there. And my plan was to get a, a four inch magnifying glass. Um, ah, yeah, okay. For the lens. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the real HAL, I think it protrudes quite a bit. It's like a dome. I think it, uh, yeah. I wanted something a bit more flat, but if so, if I put it on the wall, It'll it, look, I wouldn't yeah. bump into it. You know, if I walk past it and stuff. So, mm-hmm. if I can get the bezel back on, so it's kind of yeah. like that, mm-hmm. you know. And with once the red light goes in there, it should be okay. Yeah. Um, the reason you saw a red thing earlier on is a friend of mine bought me a fridge magnet, and it just happens to fit perfectly. <laughs> and it fits perfectly. So from a distance, it looks great. You know. Yeah. No, it does. Back there, I was like, oh wow, that's uh, that's, that's fantastic. And. Um, I, what I'm going to try and probably do is put a little sound chip in there like you get in a, a birthday card yeah. um, and have some phrases. So weirdly enough, this goes back to Marvin. Um, I put a call out on Facebook for some um, American voice artists to do me five phrases. Um, oh, that's from great. Yeah. Saying things like, good morning, Dave. There is a message for you. You know, <laughs> and that kind of. Um, the, the the guy who did the voice apparently was a, a funeral director, so he had this really. Oh, really? Calming I didn't voice. know that. 
<laughs> he did a lot of stuff um THX 1138 for George Lucas as well the sort right. of confession stuff um so so these guys sent their their impressions in some were a bit wrong some were like close or whatever and then i got uh, because i put it on facebook i got a set of readings back from a chap who i shall name in a, in a few minutes um <laughs> and they were absolutely bang on i was like oh this is good because i wanted i wanted a line it said good morning terry yeah oh yeah yeah and, and you, you want it personalized like, you've gone to the trouble terry, of making this don't thing. you think you should do some work today and yeah. all this, this kind of stuff and it turns out that it was a, a British guy, and it was David Lerner of he of the Marvin fame. Wow, that's incredible! So, being a trained actor, uh, obviously he you know he 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 nailed the American accent and he nailed the feel of um, uh, Hal Nine Thousand. So I was like, you know, and I said to David, you know, dude, that's amazing. You know, let me pay you, and he's like, no, 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 absolutely not. I'm like, oh wow, what a, what a guy, what a guy. That's incredible. So, so I'm looking forward to seeing David. Um, next year at the cardiff international tattoo con which i host um marvin will be there hopefully in person uh, and david oh, uh, is coming down as guest of honor um and uh, other people may know david from the kids uh quiz show on itv called um nightmare i from way, way love back nightmare in the day. yep Huge it fun. was like a virtual reality quiz adventure game thing, wasn't it? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He was in series like four. Uh, he played a character called Pickle. Who was I remember Pickle. Yeah. So I, I didn't. I, wow, that, that's amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, he's happy to, to. He said to me, well, you know, I, I don't want to sit there with a table full of autographed photos because most people don't know me, you know, from Adam, he said. So sure. uh, he said, do you mind if I had just hang around with Marvin? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You know, I get a spotter looking after me while I'm in the suit. Yeah. And people will get a photo of the Marvin and the guy who played Marvin together. So that's, a, yeah, that's a match made awesome. in heaven. That's great. Mm. So you do, uh, you, you do commissioned art uh, through your Facebook page and whatnot. And uh, obviously, yeah, on Instagram. Yeah. Um, how did you get into that? Have you always been into it, into that oh. kind of stuff? Into Well, art, art is my thing. I mean, uh, it's, you're very I, I broad in your your art, though. It, it, it's you know. Oh well, the thing is, I think it's a necessity. Um, mm. I, I can't remember a time where I didn't draw anything or have a pencil or whatever. Sure. Uh, I was really shy as a kid, so I would I'd rather bury my head under the table and you know onto the table and just be drawing on you know. Uh -huh. That's why I'm short sighted. I'm just doing this. <laughs> I I'm this close to the paper and. Just... Mm. Um, but I think the only reason I've managed to make. Uh, uh, make it my my day-to-day -day job is that i don't have a style i i tried to draw like the marvel's comics and i tried to draw disney stuff and i tried to do, draw the sort of bruce tim animated style and i can do enough of each that i, I still right. don't have a set style when i draw stuff so um uh, i think that's worked in my favor because yeah because you've people... done everything from from like kids books to uh, cute and cuddly um i rock rock albums mm. you know um storyboards uh sci-fi and horror um you know fantasy stuff uh corporate logos all that kind of things and it, like i say that the fact that i don't have a style and i can kind of change up quite quickly uh has saved my bacon on many occasions so you know when i'm doing illustration work uh for candy jar an author will come to them saying i've got a, a children's book uh, and I'm looking for an illustrator. And mm. Sean will pull out all the books they've done in the past and go, 
what sort of style do you like? And they'll pick one that they like. And yeah. nine times out of ten, it's one of mine because I've done more different versions of <laughs> You're so broad that the, uh, yeah. They yeah. kind of go, oh, well, I like that color pencil style, but I also like that cartoony style that's not so color pencil y. Mm. Um, it's all done Photoshop, but, you know, it's kind of like, well, who did that one? Well, that was Terry Cooper. Well, who did the other one then? Well, that was Terry Cooper as well. <laughs> but it's. It doesn't look the same. Plot like, well, twist, they're all Terry Cooper. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, um, I kind of outnumber the other artists 10 to 1, which uh, wow. keeps me in work, so I'm not going to complain. Um, no. I'm, I'm clearly, I'm not the best artist in the world. There are much better artists than me. Um, I'm just thankful that I'm able to turn my hand to a number of different styles, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's an that's a amazing talent to have. Yeah. You know, it's like, so it's like voiceovers, isn't it? If you, the more... The more types of voices you can do, the more chance you'll get more work. So yeah. you've just got to be a bit, bit sort of uh, open and, and willing to try new stuff, I guess. Yeah, not be uh, not be afraid to try something different. Yeah, yeah, totally. So uh, that that I guess brings us back to uh, to to film. Uh, yes, you know, uh, and of course you you have a film, I presume releasing imminently, and another one imminently. in the works. Uh, so yes. Offworld filmed several years ago now, wasn't it? I mean, like 2016, it, we shot Offworld. It feels like the, the the pandemic times don't really count, so those years uh, are kind yeah. of you know. Um, yes, can we can we take those two years off? You know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, the plan was to shoot it in 2016 and get it finished by the end of 2017, and then stick it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but what happened in the meantime was um, we. As soon as we had a rough edit, we put a trailer together and stuck it onto YouTube. Um, and then we had to do a lot of post-production. We had to paint out, because it was shot outdoors, we had to paint out pylons in the background and flying birds and, yeah. uh, and people walking their dogs and stuff in some cases, people on bikes, because it was shot in like a country park. And, you know, it obviously a lot, loads of mistakes were made. And I say this all the time. That So I'm glad the mistake, looking back now, I'm glad that all the mistakes were made because it's taught me more. I'd rather the mistakes be made on the first one than on the second, you know? I, I um, absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, and you, well, you know yourself that even shooting something relatively simple from a guy, a guy, oh, if it could go wrong, it'll go wrong. It, it takes, people <laughs> think it takes two seconds, but it takes an hour, you it, know? Yeah. Um, and and the, the things you just, if you're stressing over things, like you're stressing over groups of people, you're trying to herd sheep and deal with everything, get the shot set up and everything else. It won't be until you start editing that you're like, why is that camera case in the background of the shot? Didn't see yep. it. Just didn't so see many. it. We literally you know? digitally repainted out people's coats that were yep. sort of in the background yeah. in bags. We thought, oh, we'll leave them there. It's like, oh, there's there's a there's a bag flapping in the background. You know, it's like at somebody's <laughs> lunch, and we just yeah. literally had to sort of digitally paint them out. So, you know, and then the, you know the money for shooting had run out and everything, mm -hmm. and people who were working on it had finished and moved on to other things. So it's just basically trying to push it across the the finish line and then we got a call we got an email from um an american distributor saying hey we really liked your trailer uh would you be interested in you know uh, handing it over to us for distribution and marketing mm -hmm. i was like wow this, this was like completely unexpected um sure absolutely i said you know bear in mind that it's you know it's not a big budget film by any stretch of the imagination it's not even a low budget film because I think low budget is something around five million quid. I know. Uh, I, I I call I call my film zero budget. On, on yeah, that they are zero budget. You know. You know. Yeah. But you know, we raised ten thousand, just over ten thousand pound on Kickstarter, 
Uh, and they took a grand out of that anyway. Yeah. And, and I threw in all my savings as well. Um, and like I say, the, the act, none of the actors got paid. I didn't mm. get paid. We had to pay for editing, effects, uh, obviously catering, DOP, yeah. sound, uh, uh, all these things, sound mix, um, someone to do the score. But the actors uh, were doing it um, basically as a kind of showcase to say, well, this is what we can do. Because we didn't have a distributor at the time. We were just going to put it on YouTube or Vimeo and that would be it. And, um, you know, four years and nine months later, we get to today yeah, where the sound mix is currently in a small studio in Cardiff. And I'm going down next week to uh, hopefully finish it off. We've, oh, we've, fantastic. We've done most of it. I mean, our sound uh, designer guy was in London and he had it for two years, but there was lockdown and all sorts of other things. And it was looked like it was never going to get done. So I said, let, let me get take it back. I'll take it to a friend who's got a studio in Cardiff and we'll finish it off there. Yeah. Um, so I'm speaking to our distributor tomorrow. Um, we're just sort of firming up what we need to send them because it's not just a matter of here's the film, do stuff with it. It's legalities and limited company and sending them different versions of the soundtrack, ones without dialogue, um, scripts timed for subtitles, right. stills, uh, different formats, all sorts of stuff. So we've got this huge list of deliverables that we have to sort of um, satisfy and send all that to them, and then finally export the movie with its soundtrack onto a hard drive and post the hard drive physically to them in the States. Oh, uh, and then sign terrifying. contracts and stuff. <laughs> it is terrifying. Imagine that. You know, it's gotta You're sending, go a, sending a hard drive. Is like, oh, no. no. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have plenty of backups. Oh, of course, here. yeah, yeah. A million backups. And, I hid backups. Uh, I, I had backups. Uh, I used to work at a radio station uh, when we were filming Annette. And yeah. I had copies. I, I There still might be copies of Annette up there. Because I was like, please take a copy. Because if, if my PC dies, I've got copies somewhere. There's there's bits yeah. and pieces everywhere. <laughs> my my, say, my uh, co-producer, Danny, who's the lead actress, she's got a copy at her house and a copy at her parents' house. We're all paranoid. <laughs> like, yeah. one of us is going to have a house fire. But there's so many. I mean... I mean, my my film was, you know, again, both zero budget and, and it didn't take anywhere near the kind of time with the effects and, and, and the, the professionalism that you're going for. And there's the amount of time that you you invest in this to then think that yeah. there's a chance of losing it is just horrifying. Oh, yeah. You think, if, you know, if something corrupts. I mean, oh, we had yeah. a scare just, just uh, about two years ago, just as we were getting the sound mix sorted in London, mm. um, uh, we had a... Uh, the, the the sound designer came back and said i can't find anything on the drive on my oh drive my that God. i recorded all the dialogue on so we said send it to us and we'll check it and and his drive had corrupted there was no sound on there and we were like oh so we've got very bad sound from like rushes and stuff and it turns out that the there was another guy who came down to do the boom and stuff he had his own backup of all the sound recorded oh my goodness you know, try and explain that to your Kickstarter backers. Ah, well, we got so close to the finish line, but then we lost the sound. So, you know, um, yeah. and again, anything that can go wrong will go wrong and often does. Mm -hmm. And you can't have enough backups. Basically. No, you, you really can't. You really, really can't. So Offworld yeah. is uh, obviously a sci-fi uh, group of people it's, stranded on a planet. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, we, we were trying to not so much play to our strengths, but play to our weaknesses. It was like, well, what, what can we do and what can we not do? Well, we can get people and we, we're, we're out here in South Wales. We, there's plenty of there's land woodland. we can film yeah. on <laughs> yeah. and woodland. So it's going to be the whole, you know, people 
walking around. We basically said it's kind of pitch black meets The Walking Dead. So it's a survival story. Mm. And we managed to make uh, one set, which was the interior of the spaceship, which uh, I built in um, someone's double garage. And, you know, we, we cobbled it together, put loads of greeblies and plastic bits on there and Fantastic. lights. Yeah. Uh, and plenty of CGI to make, you know, these sort of holographic display mm-hmm. panels and stuff. And it comes, it, it, it does look really nice. Um, so, you know, that's all post-production for you. Um, so, but yeah, the story is about uh, 10 people who have got to make this 300-mile march before they run out of food or they start fighting with each other. And there's creatures making weird noises in the night and sort of mm. all sorts of nasties going on. Um, and like I say to everybody, I mean, the, the thing with having a film that's taken four years to, to date, four years and nine months to get to completion almost is that people are expecting, well, if you spent that long on it, it's going to be better than star Wars. It's like, <laughs> no, it's still a 9,000 pound movie. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, where we've done our best to make it, you know, work um, and to fix things. Mm. So you may see things that are ropey or a little bit dodgy or that, that effect isn't quite perfect or that bit of acting is not amazing, but you've got to remember we shot it in six days. We didn't have time to do a, a six week shoot. We no. shot it in six days, solidly working from dusk till dawn. And, you know, for everything you spot that's a little bit ropey, there's a, probably a hundred things you didn't spot that we'd fixed. So. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. And I think people have no real concept of, of unless you've done it, the amount of work that goes into fixing. Oh, yeah. Things. yeah. I mean, and you, know and you do, you spend so long doing one effect or piece of work and the audience will never even see it. No, no, because they'll you never know. know. Like said, because if you've done we your job, doing, they won't notice. We were doing a a scene where the, um, there was a couple of people talking, and in the background is the horizon. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And because this is a, a a country park just around the corner from my house, um, we weren't allowed to sort of cordon it off or shut the park down to shoot sure. it. So this guy walks along in the middle of the scene and stands there with his dog in the background, and so we like called cut. So we sent a runner over and said. Uh, excuse me, is it? Yes. Yeah. As you can probably see back there, we're making a film. So, um, you know, it'd be really nice if you could just sort of move about 10 feet to your right and yeah. carry, you watch as much as you like. And he was like, no, oh. no, public, public place. I'll do what I like. And we're like, he's like, really? So unnecessary. Yeah. They were just thought, ooh, and it's like, we weren't taking up the entire park, you know? No. So he, he stood there for a while and I said, well, we have to make the call then. Do we wait for him to move? Or do we digitally paint him out? So we digitally painted him out. Yeah. Um, yeah finally, I'm... his dog ran off after something and, you know, he had to go after the dog. But we didn't have time, you know. Um, one of the opening shots of the film, they're, they're walking up to the crashed spaceship, which is a miniature, which is on fire. Mm. And in the background, some kid comes over the hill on his BMX. <laughs> so how did we not spot that when we were shooting? So, again, we had to digitally paint him out. And when the kid goes behind someone, you've got a rotoscope around the actor. Oh God, yeah. To paint the sky and the grass back in. And you know, when you do, when you when you hear about things, when they're like, "Hey, you just rotoscope someone out," it's like, "Oh, that sounds fine." And and when you hear, "Oh, yeah, it's twenty-four frames, thirty frames a second, That's not very much. When you actually get to start doing it each frame, it's yeah ridiculous. That could be, that could be a four or five-hour job for yep. for you know, a two-second bit of rotoscoping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of these people who wrote a scope for us are some from the college and some uh, that we managed to get hold of via Facebook. You know, they, they were working for free at, at some point. You yeah. Know? So it was really bad of me. I felt really terrible coming back to them going, yeah, we're nearly there with the edit, but I've just spotted something else. There's a yeah. bird flying right past somebody and there shouldn't <laughs> be any birds on this planet. So could you possibly paint it out? And you know, most of them have been really great with us and said, mm. yeah, we'll do it. Don't worry. 
so you know um uh, it, it's not that the film was ambitious it was just that you know these things would happen with any film you know yeah. if oh, we yeah. were shooting in a pub there would be something else happening someone would walk past the window or or there'd be a noise that you have to edit out or something yeah. so again it's a great education in it i mean you know yourself it really um, is still in learning order to do, <laughs> you know yeah I, I bet spielberg's still learning you know what i mean yeah and, I, um, I would imagine so you know i was close to walking from off world so many times uh, i'm glad you didn't I, i'm really glad you didn't i'm really excited to see it i, I think it looks yeah, great uh, and you know and it's this is this is not i don't want this to be taken the wrong way but one of the things that really made me feel um okay about everything that went wrong on off world is watching documentaries on things like jaws oh yeah um, and jaws is notorious for Nightmare. being of everything going wrong you know there was there's a documentary called uh, i think it's called the shark's not working or something yeah. like that yeah and you know it was uh, spielberg was told uh, they were going to cut his money his budget um he had to stop filming there was fights between robert shaw and uh, um richard dreyfus yeah uh, the shark wouldn't work so they had to cut around it and not show it well, he, and he was he... told he'd never work again Jeez, I mean, he did. He famously told Kevin Costner not to film Waterworld at sea. He was like, "Don't do it." Because of everything, um, yeah. Of course, Costner did anyway. But you know, <laughs> that, um, well, that was yeah, how kind that, of you know soured he was. That was like, I think the first film was over two hundred million, was it? Because it was so yeah, over budget, was, and over yeah. schedule. But when you see, you know, and I've watched lots of other documentaries, but other films, you know, mm. even Star Wars had its problems, and it's it like there's no did. way I'm comparing my nine grand, ten people arguing in a field film. The, the problems are the Jaws. same, though, on a different scale. You're, the the, the is, common yeah, problems yeah. still, I mean, you know. Thankfully, we haven't got studio suits coming over and tapping me on the shoulder saying, time is money. Yeah. But again, you know, we, we, we've only got these actors for six days and we've got to make it work. So we were shooting 12 scenes a day. Yeah. Um, but that's multiple setups per scene as Long well. Long days. And then getting dark and all this kind of stuff. Everyone was cold or sunburned. We had injuries. Um, yeah. Somebody somebody tore tore the tendons in their uh, tendons in their arms. Oh, Danny had concussion. Um, one guy had sunstroke. Oh my goodness! We just had to keep plowing through. It was an absolute trial by fire. Yeah. And but you did it though. <laughs> at that point, yeah. At that point, um, you know, like I say, I was like, I'm never doing this again. That's it. Mm. I'm done. I'm never doing this again. Um, but but regardless of how bad i may see it you know, it's like marvin you know I, i'm looking at it and i see the things that could be improved yeah most people hopefully won't see that but it's a case of at the end of the day we still managed to get through all of that and have a film that the americans uh out in la have seen our distributors yeah and, and they're still happy want to put it out yeah. they want to invest money into it to put it out onto the market so yeah absolutely you know, that, that's all you you know all the backing you That's need more than we could have hoped for yeah you know because we were going to do a 10 minute short originally stick it on youtube stick it on vimeo and go we made a film and mm. it'd be forgotten about a week later but you know we managed to get you know global distribution yeah. and some of our distributors films i've seen them in tesco and asda yeah. you know uh, for five seven quid on dvd Hey, I don't care if I'm next to Sharknado or whatever. I would be thrilled to see that. I'd be over the moon yeah, to see a film absolutely. that I made in a department store. Yeah, you know? that's great. And there may be there may be no money in it. So if your first thing, you know, it's not like the it's not that the distributors will rip you off or anything, but it's the way they've got to spend thousands of dollars to market it, and you've got to earn all that back before you get any money anyway. So yeah. it may not do well. It may not get onto Amazon or Netflix or whatever, but it still get out there. And you know, I I can't 
be happier really no Um, and 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 like like you said you're always going to see the problems excuse me i i I remember called shot i was so stressed towards the end just just rush it because again i made that stupid mistake which i'm not doing with the next film which was like we're gonna release it on this date and we we said we were going to release it on that date and then it's like why did i do that twice yeah, i did why that. give yourself a deadline <laughs> and, and it's but, like never again but i was so rushed and so stressed i i remember the premiere i just hated every second of that premiere because i was just stressed beyond belief yeah. i was looking at it just seeing all the problems that, that i couldn't solve in time for the release i re-watched some of it the other day and i was like actually it's all right it's pretty good i'm yeah. actually quite happy once, with it once the pressure's off yeah you know yeah. you can be a bit more objective and yeah, like I said, I, I was um, my first conversation with the distributor. He he stopped me in the middle of it and said, "Hey Terry, you know you don't sound too happy about this. You yeah. should be you should be so proud that you've managed to make a feature on almost no money, mm. and it's you know it looks so good." And I'm like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I'm British. Said, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's what we I'll, do. <laughs> I'll pull the champagne out. I'll pull the champagne out when it's time to celebrate. But yeah. up until then. I'm going to be a bag of neuroses and just like, <laughs> how can anyone take a chance on this film? It's terrible. And it, the, the truth is somewhere in between. It's not the best film in the world, but it's not the worst film in the world. And for a and, first film. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will be, I will be happy. I will feel like a weight has lifted off me once we finally get the drive sent out the sound yeah. mix is done, drive sent out to the States and I can relax. Um, because I didn't, I did say that I didn't want to do any more films after that. And well, you, that's when you did thickens. say that, didn't you? But, mm. um, well, one of the main reasons we were, we were having this conversation is that you are doing another film, and yeah. I don't know anything about it yet, so I'm excited to hear all about it. So, what's the Alrighty. what's the new project? Well, the the way it came about was um, about a year ago, uh, myself and Danny. Britain, who's the you know the my co-producer on Offworld and the lead actress in Offworld, we decided to write another film, um, which would uh, follow up not not a sequel to Offworld, but it'd be just a, our next film to get something ready, and uh, we worked on that for quite a while, and it was called Way Out West. Or I remember, wow, for yeah. short. And we did a lot of um, you know live videos, and you know we started talking about things, and I wrote most of it, um, and then it dawned on me. Um, Aside from lockdown and, and, you know, personal hassles and um, you know, trying to keep the plates spinning, trying to keep the lights on in here and all that kind of stuff, um, it began to dawn on me that I felt that I was not going to get anywhere with it or it was going to give me another five years of stress like Offworld did. And yeah. I didn't feel prepared um, to take that on. So I, I said to Danny, I said, look, you can have the film. You can have whatever work I've done on it with my blessing and if you want to go ahead with it i'm not going to deprive you of the script or whatever sure so she still plans to do that at some point mm-hmm. probably next year um yeah, and and that's totally fine um and that gave me time to get my house in order decide what i really want to do a load of work on marvin yeah <laughs> a load of work on other things that need doing obviously day job and all this kind of stuff and i calmed down a bit and then um a weird thing happened. I was talking to um, a good friend of mine, and she said um, uh, she's a singer. And basically, she we were talking about getting into the studio and doing some more music and stuff. And then she started saying, well, you know, uh, I'd love to get into acting. And I said, yeah, I, I could probably put you in a film at some point, you know. Uh, not wow, but something else. And 
and that a second I said a possibility, your brain starts ticking over. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's it. Yep. Oh, I've got an idea for a film now. Um, so I started writing it, and at that point, this friend of mine disappeared from my life. <laughs> oh, uh, I was completely ghosted. Um, oh, um, now I'm, sorry to hear that. I, I, I'm not going to name and shame or no, go no, into no. it or anything, but. Um, the long and the short of it was there was a, a misunderstanding. Um, and generally, if there's a misunderstanding, you get a chance to talk about it. That, but that's historically the way things usually work. <laughs> this friend of mine decided to go the other way and say, I'll just completely cut them out of my life and not reply to any messages and oh, stuff. Dear. I'm like, okay, then. Um, so philosophically, I thought, well, something's good come out of this because I've I've started yeah, writing. The, the idea's there now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've started. I've still got the idea and they, they kind of... Uh, remove themselves from the equation mm -hmm. so um the story is this um the film is called bloody students <laughs> and it's a comedy horror um so it's again it's something that i know you you know ticks boxes for you as it well it certainly does uh do you know funnily enough I came across the bloody students Instagram, but actually I think you might've added me <laughs> and, and I didn't realize that was your next film. So I, I added it and I was there like, Oh, go. okay. This is, this seems like a, a fun project. Didn't realize well, that this was is you. The thing. This is the first time <laughs> I've got to talk to anyone about it yeah, because yeah. we're recording this a little bit ahead of time. Yes. Yeah. This is being um, released when it's been announced and yeah. Yeah. And I'm announcing it on, on Halloween basically. So, um, I, I don't think I had a title for it originally, but I was talking to a friend who's into effects and models and stuff, and we were sort of throwing around ideas. And I wanted to do something very Cornetto trilogy, you know. Um, I, I'm, I I would put my hands up. I'm pretty sure a lot of the fun I had working on Call Shot with you <laughs> helped helped convince me that that would be a good way to go. Right. Um, because I didn't want to do another straight-faced sci-fi mm you know, bleak story of doom and gloom. I think, um, it, do you know, I, I got to say, I think it was it was so brave of you to, to do that as a first film. Um, because I, I, I'm kind of, so I'm trying to do the opposite now. I'm trying to do a, a, a slasher movie as the next movie I've written. Yes, um, yes. And I feel like I always, I, I feel like I've been hiding behind my comedy to be like, oh, well, if it's janky, it's fine because it's a comedy. And I think it's well, so do you know what? brave. I'm the, other way, that, I'm the opposite. See, that's I'm funny, the isn't it? Opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm thinking, um, I feel more comfortable writing straight sci-fi. I see. Um, I, I'm the opposite. Drama yeah. or whatever. Um, and more scared about comedy because there are so many different types of comedy. And, mm. you know, I've written comedic novels, uh, that are sci-fi comedy, like sort of Red Dwarf type stuff. And yeah. you, you don't know if the jokes are going to land, obviously. Um, you can only write your own sense of humor and hope people get it. Yeah. Um, so, so the comedy thing, I mean, it, it's, this film is going to, is going to be quite ambitious as regards effects and sure uh, and all that kind of stuff but basically um the the comedy is the bit that scares me i, I want right. the, the dialogue to be good and sparkling and mm -hmm. you know as 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 close to edgar wright you know as i can get you know cuz he's a bloody genius let's face oh, it he's absolutely yeah um so but you know this film in, in a nutshell it tells a story of a couple called Fordy and Trish, um, names stolen from the Hitchhiker's Guide. I was Galaxy just going to say, yeah, yeah. Ford, Trish, Trisha, um, Trillian. So Fordy and Trish are in a relationship together. Um, Trish is a archaeology student, and Fordy 
is a kind of he's a slightly dodgy character he's in college with everybody but he's a kind of part-time thief ne'er-do-well right. okay and um they uh they, they're talking at settling down and, and trish has high hopes for him to be you know reformed etc because his dad's just got jailed so he's like that's my calling my wake-up call to to stop doing this you know petty theft or whatever um so she's like, oh, it's our date night and we're going to go out and have a, a nice night. And then Fordy cancels on her uh, on date night without giving her a reason. He says something important's come up. And she's like, oh, great. I'm not important. Am I? Fine. Um, <laughs> turns out that he has uh, taken up an offer to break into the local museum to steal some uh, Egyptian golden uh, ornament um, in order to sell it for an anonymous buyer to get half a million quid, um, right. of which he gets a cut of about 20 percent. Sure. Um so he's quite impressionable and, you know, these guys have talked him into doing this robbery. So on the night that he goes to break in, um, Trish uh, has reason to believe through lots of clues that he's cheating on her. Right. So she and her friends track him down and find out that he's breaking into the museum uh, with the girl that he she thinks he's cheating on her with. Oh, I um, see. Right. But he's not cheating on her, but obviously she thinks, oh, they're, they're doing this together. They must be doing more together. So they all end up getting into the museum. Um, and at that point, before he can do the robbery, they come across the caretaker who is basically um, doing a ritual to bring the undead mummies and Pharaoh back to life. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, now, there, there's tons more detail in this because I'm on oh, the first draft already. Yeah, yeah. Um, but basically what happens is they find themselves um, with some of um, the, the I would say bad guys. What I mean is um, the guy who talks Fordy into the robbery, mm -hmm. uh, him and his girlfriend and a few other guys are in the museum. Fordy's friends, Trish, Trish, Trish's best friend, Benny, and their two friends, uh, they all get in as well. And then the place gets locked down, um, you know, it's like a sort of panic button type emergency sure. button thing the yeah, place yeah. gets locked down till 8 a.m um and there's 20 living uh you know reanimated mummies uh, attacking <laughs> everyone because they need blood and organs from the students in order to reconstitute their pharaoh oh okay um, yeah so as you can imagine it's students versus i just say it's students versus mummies that's fantastic i I, I love that premise um so um that's where we're going with it mm. and i'm um, it it's it's one of those things that you know you you've done this yourself probably you're writing stuff and it comes to you quite easily and quite quickly yeah and you think that must be a good sign if it's writing itself absolutely yeah 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 the... so um obviously there's at this stage it's me it's just me writing sure. so um, I've got some ideas for actors in mind. I've got some ideas for crew in mind and ideas for people who might be able to help out with effects and costumes and this kind of thing. But there's, as you can imagine, there's a ton of stuff. I went and bought myself a book and threw a load of red paint on it. So that's my <laughs> blood splattered book. Um, and I've already, I've already filled, this is my notebook for the movie and it's basically half full already of notes and where to film things and how to film things and mm -hmm. what props are needed and what characters costumes are, et cetera, et cetera. So, I needed a book to empty my brain out, basically. Yeah, Otherwise, I yeah. wouldn't sleep. You know, I'm, I'm particularly interested how you're. Uh, I'm, I'm particularly interested from a logistics standpoint how you're doing the museum. That's that's an yeah. interesting one. Yeah. Um. I 
what I tend to do... Because in I many ways, that... Terry, that, that's far more ambitious than a forest for... Yeah, <laughs> it is, because a forest, you can go out and film without yeah. too much permission, you know. Yeah. Uh, with a museum, uh, I remember a few years ago, I, I, I needed to use Cardiff Museum for some photography, and they said, sure, come down, it's £150 an hour. Hmm. I'm like, well, I'm going somewhere else then, because I can't <laughs> afford that. Yeah. And that's what they charge to this day, because they've had Doctor Who in there, etc. in yeah. Cardiff Museum, yeah. so... I'm not filming Cardiff Museum. So my brain starts looking at other venues and I was I went Can to a I make something look like a museum? Can I yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And at the you know at, at the best case scenario we'll find a museum that's willing to let us shoot there as cheaply as possible. At worst case scenario we'll end up in like village halls and places that yeah. we can dress up yeah, yeah. take walls and put some props and stuff there. Um so we'll we'll make it work but um I I have already gone and visited a place in Newport, which is an art gallery come theatre. And it's very modern, looks really nice. And they're really nice people. And I'm waiting to hear back to see if we got it because it's it. Honestly, I had a tour of the place and it's got everything I need under one roof. Oh, that's fantastic. I hope that works out for you. Yeah, thanks. Because um, they said they've never had a movie shot there before and they'd love to see a film shot there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they're going to have a load of meetings now to, to explain, you know, to sort of talk it all through. And I emailed them yesterday saying, any news, any news? And she's like, well, you know, there's, uh, we still got to have meetings and stuff. We haven't forgotten about you. So sure. obviously I told them it's not going to be a huge budget. I'm going to try and raise as much as possible, mm -hmm. starting from the end of October onwards. S starting and see from, how long yeah, now. <laughs> from now, basically, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then... Um, it's it's a case of trying to pitch the idea to people I know, um, companies, anybody who wants to do some sponsoring, maybe do some crowdfunding. Uh, I'll even speak to our distributor and say, do you know have any contacts where we might be able to get some, some money for the budget? Um, one thing I would like to do, but it's not looking likely, as you probably know yourself, is any film grants or loans um, within the UK are almost – it's almost pointless trying to go for them because they've, there's so many hoops you have to jump through. Yeah. And they don't look too kindly on things that are too ambitious or too high concept. Which is crazy uh, because, like, ambition is should know, be right? sought after. You know, you, you should encourage ambition. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, I, I spoke to the, the Welsh I mean, film like, agency a few years ago. Would the ago. BBC have ever made Doctor Who without ambition? They had no budget. Especially yeah. the yeah. early seasons, nothing. That's pure 1963, ambition. Somebody comes to them and goes, uh, right, we need a kids show that's kind of educational. Now, they could have done another play school, couldn't yep. they? Um, but, you know, Sidney Newman, um, who was a Canadian, apparently, and he he basically said, right, I'm going to have this this old man who's got a box that travels in time and we can educate kids via time yeah. travel. And, you know, they threw all their money into it. Yeah. You know, from the second episode, you know, the second story, the, the Daleks. Mm. So. The guy from the Welsh Film Agency said to me a few years ago, um, I was trying to pitch the idea of possibly doing a film of one of my books, which is very Hitchhiker's sort of base. Sure. And he, he said, is it set in Wales? I said, no, it's set on other planets. You know, <laughs> I was like, did George Lucas have this problem? And again, I'm not comparing myself to George Lucas, but you, when you're trying to sell a high concept, it's like, well, does it have to be set in Wales? Does it have to be in the Welsh language? Mm. Um, and, if it's um, a Welsh production... Yeah, with Welsh you know, cast, yeah. filming in Wales, it doesn't have to be, you know, it, it could be another planet. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, right to current day, 
there's um, a British company set up in London called Locksmith Animation, set up by two ladies who have worked in animation in the past. And they're, they're, um, they've only been going like two years, three years. And on their website, they said, we want to be the British Pixar, which is right. lofty, lofty aim, right? It is, but yeah. They, they've just finished their first feature called Ron's Gone Wrong. And it's American voices. It's a very American. You'd think it was a Pixar film if you didn't know it was made in London. Right. And it's got Disney behind it now. So it's having a worldwide release. Wow. Yeah. So it shows that it can be done. If yeah. you if, if 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 there's enough people who believe in it, you can get it done. Absolutely. Um, so I, I'm you know, I'm saying to people, I, I don't really want to do a film about an old man who used to be a miner who now raises pigeons. That's not what I want to watch. I want to make the films that I want to watch. You, know? you have, and, and you, same, you've guess, got to you know? write, and and you can't spend the amount of time it takes and the stress, as you've said, the stress of making a film and the effort, the time. Uh, you cannot do all of that unless it's something that you have a passion for and a love for. Exactly, and even if you don't have the passion, you've got to have something motivating you to do it. Yes, so if yeah. you were commissioned to write, oh yeah, a that's story absolutely. Yeah. An old guy, and someone gave you a shed load of money. Yeah, it's a it's a proper job, and you'd you'd find yes. the motivation to do it because you're paid as a job. But if it's a labor of love mm. until the day you hopefully get paid for it, you've got to write something that floats your boat and something yeah. that you know you feel uh, excited and you want to see this on screen so i want to make a film that is uh you know funny uh exciting you know uh got some creatures in it you know it's fast paced got some music in it uh, i wanted something that's going to entertain me to make while i'm watching you know and yes also watch yeah, yeah absolutely and, and you're the same i mean i know you you know you love your your sci-fi and your horror and all this oh, kind yeah. of stuff so and giant monsters <laughs> yeah you're you're not going to do a film that is you know david lynch kind of no um no something you're not going to do kez no no, <laughs> no ex exactly and and the terrific film but yeah it's sure. not me but it's horses for courses yeah. um I, i'm a geek and i'm always going to be a geek so Same. i'm going to make the kind of films that i want to see yeah and surely that's uh braver than playing it safe um yeah you know so um i am going to crack on with this i mean people have said to me how are you going to get a museum and how are you going to get full-size egyptian sarcophagi and how are you going to get you know tall skinny you know rotting mummies and stuff it's like, going to be fun to find out <laughs> i've got plenty of ideas yeah 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 that, that sort of stuff doesn't scare me like i said no, it's the right, it's... writing i love writing dialogue but dialogue with jokes uh, yes. and the timing and all that is, is the scary thing for me mm. um because sometimes you don't know how far to go with a joke um I, w I was commissioned a few years ago to write for a web series um they said we need a pilot so i wrote this pilot for them which they filmed and they said, oh, we, we need to kind of we need to bump the, the jokes up a bit because I think my type of humor is more wordplay based. It's a little yeah. bit more subtle. Mm -hmm. And they pushed it too far, in my opinion. Um, they went for the, the, the gross out gags, uh, okay. Uh, which, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I like the Farrelly Brothers movies. Yeah. But I don't think I would have done the whole something about Mary hair gel gag. No, that's a little bit too far for me. Yeah. And they wanted to go in that direction. Sure. Um, and I wanted more subtle humor kind of thing. If you watch like Shaun of the Dead or Space, you know, it's that kind of yeah. uh, wordplay. I think you so time travel, that kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, you, when when you're writing something for yourself, it's weird because you've got to sort of like 
separate yourself from your script and go look at it objectively and go is this funny or do I need to go any further or have I gone too far with it? It's a really weird Yeah, uh, and the, the thing, frustrating thing. it's a mental thing. exercise, isn't it? It is, and, and the frustrating thing with humour I found, and I'm sure you're going to find this as you, as you work on this film, is that it's funny when you write it, but you spend so much time on it, nothing's funny about it by the end. Like, the yeah, it, nothing. You've got to hope. Because you've got to hold on to the thought that originally it was originally funny. Originally it it's was like, funny, yeah. Imagine a stand-up comedian who you know who writes their entire routine and then they perform it night after night after night. I can't even imagine. I mean, I suppose on stage, if you're Eddie Izzard or Lee Evans or whoever, you're getting that instant feedback. Yes. But you know, lots of comedic actors have said, you know, you're saying this stuff, you're not getting anyone laughing in the crew because they've heard it twelve takes of it. Yep. And you don't, you know, even when it's edited, you don't even. There's no laugh track, so you you don't no. like no. That's it. Uh, and and it works. And that was the fear with like Annette and Cold Shot. It wasn't until I watched it with a live audience that laughed at the right bits. I was like, oh, thank God. I know. Thank I, God. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I know with Offworld, I think there's, I mean, there's no humor in Offworld as such. There's, there's only people making the right act. noises. People need to make the right noises. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, nothing would be worse than writing what you think is a comedy and then, you know, placed with a completely silent mm. crowd. You're like, oh, my goodness, that's me done. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure I'm that won't be the case, but, you know. I'll recycle uh, all the gags from my, my books and everything that, that, that people have said have worked in the past. And, uh, mm. you know, I mean, nothing's new under the sun. You, you can recycle certain types of gags. I mean, Edgar Wright did it with Spaced, you know, the whole one in Shaun of the Dead when he's like, he's not my girlfriend. And then Nick Frost gives him a pint. He goes, thanks, babe. Yeah. I mean. They did that in space yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, you can plagiarize yourself all day. That's, that's sure. absolutely sure. fine. Um, and you can do loving homages in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly, absolutely. I'm really excited uh, to to see how this project continues. So, where are you at this point? First draft? Are you looking to cast oh, yeah. off the back of your announcement? Are you looking to find backers? Well, um, all of the above. But basically, mm-hmm. um, now um, now I've got the chance to work with a. Um, I've got a clean slate when it comes to working with people. So I, uh, much like you, have got contacts all over the place. Mm. And you kind of go, my dream team would be this person on camera, this person in the lead. Yeah. So I've got a couple of people in mind um, who I'm really looking forward to working with. Some I have worked with before, but the, uh, most I think cast will be all, all new people. Um, I'm well the first draft is basically me taking my treatment and turning it into dialogue yeah and as you probably know the first draft is the most bloated unfunny thing in of the course. world yeah 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 uh, yeah this is supposed process. to be a 90 minute film right mm-hmm. so uh, my first draft i'm already at page 68 so that would be like 68 minutes into the film and there's not one spooky thing happened yet right because i've written yeah. so much backstory mm-hmm. but it's a case of getting right to the end as fast as you can placeholder dialogue uh occasionally you get a little oh that might be an idea for a joke and then the second draft is you trim it all that back you know and, and start putting in funnier lines and timing yeah. it a bit better so i'm i'm like i say i'm about 68 minutes uh into the the treatment mm. um uh, I've, I've covered 68 pages on the first draft it the first draft is probably going to come in at about I would say 130 pages, which is far too long. It only needs sure. to be 90, I think. Yeah. Um, but it is going well. And like I say, it's writing itself. It's it's coming up with – it's weird. You write a treatment in quite a lot of detail. And then when you start doing the dialogue, you, it comes to life in your brain. And you're going, yes. oh, now they could say that. Mm-hmm. And they could do this. Um, 
So I do have. I think once you get to know the character, once you get to know the characters you've created, then you can kind of see how they would behave and what they would say in this situation or that situation. And I don't know if you've done the same thing, but obviously while writing, um, I've already got the the two main characters. I've got the two actors in mind who I want to play. And I have approached them and said, would you like to be in this? They're like, hell yes. Um, So I've kind of got them in mind as I'm writing. Yeah. Um, Because when I was writing my books, I didn't have you know, actors in mind. So I had to sort of come up with, if I was making a film of this, who would I cast? So, so yeah, that's what I did my with books. my first film. It, it was yeah. like, let's, let's think of famous people. Cause I didn't know who, yeah. if anyone would be yeah. interested. So I cast famous people as I was writing it that fit the okay. role. Exactly. But then we called shot. I, I had my cast. I had people so I could write for that character as that person. Yeah. Um, Cause some of the characters came back, didn't they? From yeah. the first yeah, one. Yeah. So then you can go, I can imagine him saying this line. I imagine her saying this line. Well, and of course um, we, we had the auditions while I was still writing it. So I, I was like, oh yeah, okay. I, 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 you know, I know you were in it. So I was like, oh, I've seen your Draco now. I can, you know, yeah. I can go back and, and, and tweak that. Yeah. So when I was writing my, my sci-fi books, because it's, a, it's a two lead characters, I based them on Bill Bailey and um, Mark Warren from Hustle, you know. Oh. Um, so it was like, right, they're my two characters. And I, I just, you know, you, you, you imagine it if you're creative enough, you know, if you've got a visual imagination, you say, I just sit back and imagine myself watching a film of this. And what would they say next? You know, and start typing it out. Um, so now I've got the two actors in mind, you know, who are, uh, are currently penciled in and saying, yes, we want to do this. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I can write knowing what they're on. One guy has got, um, he's got a kind of a Brummy accent. So I can write stuff that I can imagine him saying. Yeah. Um, so there is that. And uh, it's a case of um, I've got to decide how am I going to go about doing any crowdfunding. Um, may go Indiegogo this time. Um, their fees are lower. Yeah. Um, I've heard pros and cons on on every crowdfunding. I, I was going to say I think so. there's pros and cons to all of them. Yeah, you've just got to kind of at some point you've got to pull the trigger and go. Let's just do it. Yeah. So are you um, planning to have made that decision by the end of this month when you announce it or? Uh... Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I am leaning towards Indiegogo. Um, I've got um, my own uh, savings is going into it. So I'm not going to be like saying to people, just give me your money. Yeah. I'm, I'm throwing a load of my own money into it as well. Uh, I don't have a lot. But I'm not saying I'm not like no, loaded no, no, or anything. No. But, you know, I, I've got about three grand. Right. So, you know, that's a third that's of a lot of money. Budget. You know, that's, that's a lot, lot of money. money. Yeah, that's like a car. <laughs> yeah, well, car. yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's that's all I can afford to throw into it. Mm. Um, and I do have a couple of friends who can uh, not throw in that much. But um, uh, the people who have said to me, look, whenever you do an, the, your next film, let me know. I know I'll, I'll, I'll throw I'll you be a there. Yeah. Quid here and there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's there's, there's some like businesses, etc. And again, like I say, I'll speak nice to the distributors and see what the deal is um again i don't want to get in in the hock for like so if they come back to me and go well we can get you a million bucks i'm like right i'm gonna guarantee <laughs> this guy gets these million bucks back at some point yeah so that would scare the, the pants off me to be honest i think well let's let's not i don't i think i turned down a million dollar budget to be honest unless i was guaranteed to make that it's, back. Uh, yeah that's the trouble it's, isn't it it's it gets mm. scary the more money the more money goes up you yeah know, if you're doing it on zero budget you know everyone understands but Mm. Uh, even with Offworld, people have said to me, "Well, where did the ten thousand pounds go?" <laughs> I'm like, and they ex- they expect that I spent ten grand on you know put it straight in my bank account. It's like, well, no, yeah. you know, it was, it was two grand on editing and two grand on DOP and two grand on effects. That's six grand yeah, you're, already. You're not getting paid. Uh, well, I'm not getting paid. No, I, I exactly. Still haven't this yeah. day. So um, it is hard to to 
you know, I hate the money side of things. I hate yeah, talking so about the money side of things, and I hate asking for it as well. But it isn't, you know, um, it's it's necessary for for a certain. It's a necessary of, thing. Um, that I, 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 last week, I was on Twitter and I saw someone um, put an advert out saying, "Could you really help my Kickstarter? I'm writing a book all about, I think it was Star Trek." And it was all about compare. It was like Excel spreadsheets comparing everything that happens in all of the episodes of original Star Trek. So there's there's no illustrations. There's no. It's not a graphic novel. It's just all text. Right. And he wanted twenty eight thousand pounds for it. Wow. And I'm like, suddenly I don't feel so greedy asking for ten grand. <laughs> well, for yeah, that's that's the thing. Song. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, I I don't know whether they're going to get it, and you know, wish them all the best. But uh, <laughs> you know, if I if I can get say 20,000 or 25, I'd be over the moon because yeah. that means I can, I can pay the actors, you know, this time mm-hmm. around, I can say, right guys, you know, you're not going to get rich out of this, but, but I can give you something you give for up your a, time. If you, yeah, if you're going to give up your days where you could be working or doing something else, then, you know, I can remunerate you to a certain extent and I can feed you. And if somebody's got to travel from outside Wales, I can put them up yeah. um, in a Airbnb or something. You know, it just, it does, as you know, it just makes life easier. Absolutely. Uh, and it, it's just, a nice and, it, and you're still to... cutting corners, isn't it? Yeah. You're still doing whatever you can uh, by hook or by crook as cheaply as possible. Yeah. Because, you know, we're not rolling in it. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, that's amazing. Um, But finally, I didn't even know you wrote, you had novels out so what are the books all right well quickly go into that well basically um it was when i started my college uh course i'd moved back up to this town not far from where i'm living now and um i moved into a i was renting a house and it didn't have any phone lines so i had no internet right um so i was like what am i going to do in the evenings so i thought (laughs) i'm just i'm going to just start writing some stories and i started writing and I thought, oh, yeah, I want to, I want to go into, I want to write sci-fi. So I'll, you know, I didn't have an idea where, what to do with it. So I wrote this story and expanded it and expanded it, expanded it. And then I was doing some artwork for a company, um, sort of up north. I think the sort of Sheffield way. And there are a horror publishers called Hades Gate Productions. I don't think they're going anymore. Right. Um, I'm still in contact with the guys who run it. And um, they had a nice little community. This was kind of. This was, I think this was before Facebook, actually. Right. And um, we, we had we just, every night I'd go on the Hadesgate forums. Well, no, I'd do it. I couldn't do it online. I'd have to do it when I was in college and jump on the yep. forum and and speak to the people there. And I got in contact. Uh, they said, oh, have you heard of um... – yes, there was two horror publishers in Wales, in Cardiff area. One was called Pendragon Press, which uh, stopped a few years ago, but I think they're making a comeback, run by Chris Teague. Hmm. And he had a friend called Steve Upham who did Screaming Dreams publications, which is a great name. And he was doing quite well as a little indie imprint of doing um, just strict, straight up horror. And I got in contact with Steve and he doesn't live too far from me. And Steve said, I'll publish it for you. I said, are you sure? You don't normally do sci-fi, yeah. let alone sci-fi comedy. Hmm. Um, but he said, yeah, I'll do it. So um, I got it finished around 2008. And we were about to put it out, and Steve uh, got himself hospitalized from heart failure and nearly oh, died. Oh, goodness. Um, thankfully, he got through it, and you know, he's still alive and kicking to this yeah, day. He's still a good, that. good mate of mine. Um, but he, he fell out of the publishing thing. He said, I don't think I could run that. <laughs> the stress is probably no. half of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my friend Sean Russell from Cardiff, I was working with at the time in a, in a 
film studio, he said, um, have you thought of putting it out yourself? And I was like, well, I don't know where to start. He said, I'll put it out for you. I was like, really? <laughs> He's like, yeah. So he set up Candy Jar Books. Wow. Um, Are you sure? Because the last Jar... person who said they do that had a heart attack. <laughs> I did. I did say that. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, I, I, Sean won't, won't mind me saying this because it is public knowledge now mm. that uh, about four years ago, Sean uh, came down with cancer and oh, had goodness. three years of chemo. And he's had the all clear, so oh, well, he, you know, he didn't he didn't mention it at the time, but he was trying to run run a company while doing wow. having chemotherapy. That's incredible. Um, so the moral is, kids, don't start a book publishing company; it'll finish, <laughs> finish you off. Um, no, so so Sean set up Candy Jar um, to publish my books. So my books, uh, the first book is called Kangazang: Remote, Remote Possibilities. Um, so Kangazang is the name of a planet. Um, so the story, the first book is admittedly very similar to Hitchhikers. It's mm-hmm. a, an Earthman called Jeff Spooner who likes his beer and his kebabs and his football. And so he's nothing like me, actually. I can't stand football. Um, but he discovers that his hairdresser, Ray, uh, I do have a real life hairdresser, lives around down the road. Mm-hmm. His name is Ray as well. That I, must have come in handy during lockdown. As a kid. <laughs> yeah. And he, um, he discovers that Ray, this is the Bill Bailey character, uh, yeah. is actually from another planet and he's planning to get back home as soon as possible to his home planet of Kangazang, which is like a sort of holiday world. It's all beaches and palm mm-hmm. trees. And uh, Jeff gets uh, catches his uh, fiance cheating on him with a local vicar because it's always funny. And um, they split up and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And Ray says, look, why don't you take a trip with me? And he's like, where to? He's like, well, halfway across the galaxy. So they get into the, uh, they repair the spaceship and they take off and they get entangled into all sorts of problems and galactic wars and stuff along the way. Um, and they come across a planet populated by sentient space hoppers. Because <laughs> um, I wanted to get some 70s sort of pop culture references. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and they kind of, you know, uh, fight against all uh everything that's against them and they manage to sort of survive and save the universe twice in the process. And they finally get to uh, the planet of Kangazang to relax and drink cocktails on the beach. And then there's a sort of post credit sequence where the planet gets invaded by uh, a race of sentient battle hardened peanuts uh, (laughs) called the Macadamians. Nice. um, Which is terrible. Uh, But that's the second (laughs) book. And then the second book is called, um, Oh, blimey. So you've got Kangazang Remote Possibilities. Second one is Kangazang Star Stuff. And the third one is called Kangazang um, Small Cosmos. So it tells the story of what's happening to Jeff and the planet of Kangazang. And Jeff has Jeff falls in love with a female robot. Um, he, he didn't plan it, but it just happened. Um, he also didn't plan getting her pregnant, but it happened weirdly <laughs> enough. Um, and... Uh, you know that that went from 2008 all the way up to about 2016 so it's like 10 years in the making or something um but the first book we managed to get Colin Baker in oh amazing to do the audio so he he came down to Cardiff once with us and he did 9 hours solidly in the recording studio incredible did 20 played 25 characters um i played one character and we also got a female actress in called Claire Cage from Cardiff, who was in Doctor Who and Torchwood and a few things. Mm-hmm. She's a friend of mine from a long time ago. 
So she did all the female characters, and um, that came out as a, a four disc audio. Um, there's still a couple left on Candy Jar's website somewhere, um, but all three books uh, should be in print, I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, have to look those up. I I had no idea that you uh, you wrote books as well. So, do you know? I think that's the kind of thing that made me want to. I never thought I'd write a novel's worth of yeah, anything, yeah. you know. And I thought I got to the first one. I thought, oh, well, I'll try and do a sequel. And then your brain goes, everything's you've got to do a trilogy. It's sci fi. Yeah. So you write the third <laughs> it's one. the law. I think, well, if I, could, if I could pull that off, surely I can pull off a feature film, you know, at least yeah. a script. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and now you it's have not that I'm a um, novelist and a filmmaker and a this and that. It's like I've done that. Now I'm doing this and mm. then I'm. Do- so it's it's uh, it's a case of being creative and not knowing what to do with it. So you just channel it into everything. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, Terry, this has been fantastic. I've taken almost two hours of your time. <laughs> I'm not worried. I'm worried about taking up two hours of your time. Oh, no, don't worry about that. That's all good. going on about himself. No, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. So um, Offworld, the trailer's available. I'll link that in the description, obviously, um, to yeah. the video uh, and uh, on wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and Bloody Students will have been announced at this point. So, um, yes. yeah, check that out. There's an Instagram page for that. Um, it's Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Kofi, the coffee type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully by the time you're listening to this, we should have the, the crowdfunder up and running. But the, yeah, certainly I'll link the Facebook that too. page yeah. and Twitter and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll put links to all of that in uh, in the description of, of everything. And uh, yeah, Terry, thanks for thanks for joining me. It's been great. No, it's been it's been really good fun to sort of revisit everything I've done from the beginning to now. <laughs> yeah. And also so, to talk about Bloody Students for the first time, because I can't I haven't been able to talk to anyone about it. Yeah, really. So it's like, finally, I can get it off my chest and sort of. I'm really excited excited to uh to see it yeah uh same as off-world, well you know but, um... i i will be i will be bending your ear on a regular basis asking for advice oh, feel free. And, um, and and maybe even poaching some of your actors i don't know oh, go for happens. it yeah I'm, I'm sure you know why not <laughs> i'm sure they'll yeah. be up for it um yeah i look forward to to seeing the final product um yeah i i love i have a a love of classic horror uh the first universal horror run is is uh got a special place in my heart so uh the mummy yeah. and uh abbott and costello yeah. meet the uh meet uh the mummy as well um, yeah yeah i, I yeah. just i just love mummy there's a film came out this week called under wraps it's a very it's a disney film for kids as a family film mm. but even then there's a great mummy in it you know it's really yeah. like uh, it's it's clean one of cut the... comedy but it's just to see a mummy running around yes yes um... and it, what i like about that kind of thing like pirates and um vampires and this kind of thing it's not like a copyrighted thing. I mean, Frankenstein's no. monster, the design, you know, the universal classic, is copyrighted. But it, it is, yes. We we talk, we a, actually a mummy is copyrighted, is it? You know, no, no, no. The mummy, as a design, it's well, it's not even a design, is it? It's just a a form of burial. Um, is yeah. is yeah, yeah. It's not a copyrighted design. Um, and it's a wonderful image. It's just a a great design um so i'm, I'm what i like to about it. it is people you say mummy people know what they're getting straight yep, away there's absolutely no thought involved it's like you know what you're getting mm, yeah yeah it's it's one of the iconic uh creatures um and and one of the i want to say less used creatures as well uh, for, so, for the yeah. iconic you know the iconic ones it's it's one of the lesser that's used. true there's there's plenty of werewolf movies you can talk about and plenty of vampire things but Zombies. not so much mummies. yeah no absolutely mm yeah so i really look forward to it i'm looking forward to seeing it and um you know 
we'll 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 have to do this again during the process see how, uh, how yeah you yeah you, you you can you can see how i go from um um from reasonably excited <laughs> to <laughs> my wits end yeah and you yeah. know see, watch me deteriorate as we go it'd be great fun yeah awesome well terry thank you uh thank you for joining us on uh on the Thanks, excursion Rich. and uh next time i will be speaking to mira morningstar so uh join me then